0: The shadows of storm and night, the mysteries of life and light from unearthly peculiarities, celestial and divine to apparitions and transcendental signs. You're listening to To The Spirit Podcast.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to The Spirit Podcast. I am your host, Beck. Steph's got the day off today, so I'm gonna be flying solo. And today was a great interview, but before I even jump into the interview and introduce our guest, I wanted to talk about a disembodied voice that I picked up in the actual interview. I'm gonna play that disembodied voice for you, and I wanna know what you guys think. In this recording, you're gonna hear my guest say, and he had three sons. And in between the and he had and the three sons you're going to hear something i want to know if you can hear it so i'm going to play it a couple times for you
0: and he had is it three sons and he had is it three sons
1: did you hear it i didn't slow it down but i'm going to play it again for you and then i'm going to play it isolated
0: and he had is it three sons
1: so the EVP that came through the recording said, "I visit,", a visit, a
0: visit. and he had visit. three sons.
1: Clearly, somebody was visiting on our guest's end. Let us know what you think. You can drop us a message at anchor.fm slash to the spirit, or you can email us at to the spiritpod at gmail.com. Our guest today is a paranormal enthusiast, a former docent of Victorian houses in the San Francisco area. She is an avid spirit box communicator. She sells vintage clothing and jewelry on Etsy and has some really fun and amazing stories to tell. So please welcome Marcy Johnston. Hi, Marcy. How are you doing today?
0: Hey, doing all right. How are you today? Good.
1: Thanks for coming on the podcast.
0: Oh, yeah. Thanks for having
1: me. Are you guys having those crazy wildfires out there?
0: We are. We haven't had as much smoke, I think, because of the region that we're in. We're kind of a little closer to the ocean, so we get the the marine layer kind of comes in and and keeps the smoke from overwhelming us, but it's starting to spread to other parts of the U.S. now. But earlier, like about a week ago, it was that crazy day where everyone woke up and we just felt really oppressed and... Freaked out because the sky was basically like dark and orange and you just had like no idea of what time it was. It was pretty crazy.
1: It's scary. I have friends out, out west, out in Portland. We've been saying prayers for you guys.
0: We can use all the help we can get. <laughs> we need rain.
1: Feels like the end is nigh.
0: It really does, <laughs> yeah.
1: So tell me a little bit about yourself.
0: <laughs> I am someone who's always kind of been interested in antiques and like creepy old houses and vintage clothing, things like that. Like, when I was a kid, we lived very briefly. My mom and I um, lived in Seattle. I was born in California, but my mom moved to Seattle for a while. But she had this big, um, big Victorian house, and it was sort of dark and creepy, and I remember playing, like, up in the attic. <laughs> and that kind of started my weird fascination with, like, old houses and creepy things. And also, just being a kid, in the early 70s, they had, like, all these monster toys. And I had the um, I had the Emerald the Enchanting Witch doll, which is, like, a, a doll. Her eyes would, like, light up emerald green and flash. She put a battery in her back. And she had purple skin. That was, like, a cool toy. And she had, like, a little haunted Victorian house carrying case that I had also. So I've always kind of been into, like, sort of creepy haunted stuff. And now I deal vintage clothing, so that can be interesting sometimes when I go to estate sales. And not everybody, when they have an estate sale, doesn't mean necessarily it's somebody died in the house. It could be just somebody was moved to a nursing home, but it's interesting. Sometimes I'll kind of pick up on, like, people that might still be lingering or confused, um, or you'll just get kind of energy from a house, which is interesting. So I've always kind of had experiences ever since I was younger. Um, another thing with my thing with Victorian houses was a friend of mine, her mother, I guess, thought she would keep us both out of trouble. It was only my friend that was getting (laughs) into trouble. We were about 14. But she thought, oh, I'm going to keep you guys out of trouble. I'm going to sign you up for this. uh, It was through the Homes Association where we lived in San Lorenzo. And she said, I'm going to sign you up for this volunteer thing where you you do X amount of hours of volunteer work, and then they'll place you in, in odd jobs. So I wasn't thrilled by the idea but then I saw that uh, there's this old house around the corner from us that was one of the things that you could volunteer for so I volunteered to be a docent at a Victorian house and I had um, some interesting experiences there kind of always been interested in sort of like paranormal supernatural type things just had a lot of interesting experiences but I think that house would kind of be the one that really kind of piqued my interest or gave me an experience to kind of build on everything else that I've kind of gone on to do or be interested in since then
1: you mentioned that you deal with antiques and do you have your own shop
0: um just a shop on Etsy it's uh, Lola and Black Vintage Clothing on Etsy great and it, it's jewelry and vintage clothes and every now and then I'll, I'll throw up some crazy tchotchke that I don't want anymore that I found that I think is really cute and I'm running out of rooms. So. I'm probably going to be listing a lot more.
1: I really dig that stuff. I've seen some of the stuff that you pick up, and I'm drawn to some of it, even though some of it's a little creepy, (laughs) (laughs) but, I mean, it's perfect.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, it's funny, because I have, like, the the gothy kind of aesthetic. Like, I, I like things that would be considered, like, sort of gothic, you know, old cathedrals and bats and spiders and spider webs and, you know, things with the planchettes on them or crystal balls. And it's funny because all of that stuff is is really sort of, I hate to say trendy, but it's kind of trendy right now. And like the whole witchy look is very trendy, but I've I've always kind of been interested in that.
1: It is, but it ties into your fascination with the paranormal, so it works.
0: It it does, but it's funny because it's like a a duality with me because I like that kind of stuff. But then I also like really bright colors and textures and and like, fun clothes, so, like, with the vintage, it's hard for me to just stick to, like, one particular look, because a lot of people are very, like, streamlined as far as what they have in their shops, and they're very heavily curated, and with me, I'm just like, oh, this is cool, I'm going to buy it, <laughs> put it in my shop, and, you know, put it up for sale, and see if anybody else likes it as much as I do, and I'll find stuff that's just absolutely wacky, so it's always nice when you get somebody who appreciates it, and they're like, oh, wow, this is so cool, thank you so much for finding this, kind of a nice feeling to-
1: well, you had the fascination since you were young with uh-huh. all things kind of spooky and paranormal. And you did yeah. live in a Victorian home. Did, was that Victorian home haunted?
0: Um, You know, I mean, maybe. I was really young, though, like really. I mean, I was like maybe two, three, four years old, something like that, like in that age range. So really young. So I have really vague memories of it. I just remember it being very shadowy. I remember um they got me a toy piano, and I was like, this attic for whatever, I don't know what I was doing, hanging out in the attic, but I remember being in an attic, very specific memory. And like, maybe that was where I was allowed to play because I could spread my toys out all over. I don't know. But I just remember being up in this attic and someone telling me, play the piano like Liberace and just kind of banging my hands on this little toy piano. (laughs) They're like, you know, play like Liberace. And I'm like, bling, 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 bling. But I'm like sitting in this like dark, shadowy attic doing it. So it's like one of my earliest memories.
1: When did you find yourself when you were actually stepping into it voluntarily and and, and kind of um, drawn to it more.
0: That's, okay, that's interesting, too, because it took me a really long time. Like, I don't know why, but it didn't really occur to me that just anybody could go out and ghost hunt. Like, it wasn't something that I thought, like, oh, I can just go out and try to communicate with dead people or, you know, try to find out what's out there. Like, I didn't realize that that was just something that you could do. And it's funny because... A friend of mine had a co-worker, and the co-worker and her boyfriend would sometimes, uh, or maybe it was her parents, but they would invite people. They would go on these gourmet hikes. So they would go on a hike of, like, um, you know, maybe the area around Mount Tamalpais or something, or they'd go to, like, Angel Island. Like, let's we're going to do a gourmet hike. We're going to spend the day on Angel Island. And so the interesting thing was the lady who... You know, her parents put everything together. Her boyfriend that she lived with, he was really into ghost hunting. And this was like, I want to say this was like the late 80s or early 90s. His name is uh, Mark Bacuzzi. He and his wife are the founders of the Winbridge Institute. They have like accredited mediums, so they sort of vouch for them and vet them. And then you can go, okay, well, this medium is accredited by the Winbridge Institute so it's something that they do. I don't think that they charge for their services or anything. It's just something they do as part of their research into the, the afterlife. So not necessarily like the paranormal, because I know like when I knew him back then and, and that we would go on these hikes. One of the hikes we did was on Angel Island and we went through the immigration center, which um, Angel Island was like an immigration detention center for all the Chinese oh, that wow. came to California after the gold rush. So after the gold rush, we, I don't know, we were horrible, the poor Chinese people from mainland China. We basically told them, like, come to California and help us, you know, help us build our state. And they helped us with the railroads yeah, and things like that. And we treated them like crap, basically, like they came here and they helped us and they worked really hard. And um, once the gold miners were out there staking their claims, they didn't want, like, Chinese miners. They were, they just were afraid that, you know, it's kind of like what you hear now—the rhetoric, like they're taking our jobs, you know, they're taking yeah. our jobs, they're taking our women, we don't want them. So they were really terrible before Chinese, and like we sort of went in these waves of like inviting them to come, and then sort of rescinding the invitation and being really hostile, and that's sort of what happened with Angel Island is so many Chinese immigrants started coming that they built this center to sort of detain them, to decide what to do with them, like whether or not they were going to have them here or send them back. And um, and um people actually were detained for up to two years. And so some of them committed suicide in that. And you can feel it. Like when you go into certain parts of that, I'm getting chills talking about, mm-hmm. you can really feel it. Like when you go into certain parts of that immigrant detention center, it feels really heavy and really sad and it just makes you want to start crying it's it's really a powerful experience
1: that is sad i ha- i have heard a little bit about that and i did i did know that there was some chinese slavery particularly on the west coast i think it ran from seattle down but it's it's very uh sad
0: it's sad yeah i mean just the fact that we sort of invited them we said hey come and help us you know we need people to work in the fields and we need people to work on the railroad and we need people who are experts in this and experts in that and so they all started coming and then it was like whoa, whoa, whoa there's too many of you slow it down and yeah it's just terrible what we did and not only that but um, we put them in these wooden barracks for the detention it was like these wooden um, wooden structures And so they were very offended by this, because in their country, it's like, you don't sleep in a wooden house, a dog sleeps in a wooden house. So it was very, like, offensive to them, and they just felt like they were being treated worse than a dog. And they wrote poetry, they scratched poetry into the walls, and the poetry was, like, covered up by paint. And the army was going to tear everything down. I think it was in the 40s. They were going to tear everything down, and then they discovered all these poems. And it was like, oh, no, now this is, like, culturally significant, we can't tear it down. If you ever come out this way, that's definitely like something to to put on your list.
1: I bet you it would feel similar to Gettysburg. It has a lot of energy there.
0: Never been there, but I could imagine. Well, I could imagine that would be like a hundred times more because so many people died. You definitely and in feel it. Pain and yeah,
1: you feel yeah. that wave of energy that comes right up through your stomach, and just standing in certain areas. Did you do any exploration and actually do some ghost hunting on the island, or any kind of work? Um,
0: it, it's tough because um, it's one of those places where you go from the ferry takes you over there and it's like maybe from 9 a.m. and you have until maybe like 4 p.m. and then everybody gets back on the ferry and leaves. If you don't get on the ferry, then you're stuck on Angel Island overnight and there are no stores or, you know, anything. So I think it's possible to camp there, but I've never been brave enough. It's pretty big, so it'd be hard to kind of get around from place to place. There are a lot of structures still standing from like the military. The oldest Civil War buildings still standing on the West Coast are on Angel Island. So there's there's some stuff there, too. There's some stuff in the Civil War buildings. There's some stuff in the detention center. The interesting thing was I did bring a spirit box with me when I went um, with a friend of ours, and my husband and I, and then this friend, we all went over there for the day, and I took my spirit box. And we were in one of the buildings with the Civil War buildings, and I was running the spirit box, and a man came through and said, in Chinese, he said, ni hao, and then he said, hello. So that was kind of trippy that is... because of the history of the detention center that was on the other side of the island.
1: Now, you've been into ghost boxing and spirit, spirit boxes for a, a while. I know uh, we've been friends on Facebook, and we have a lot of uh, groups in common. And We both yeah. have this affinity for ghost boxes and, and ITC and EVP. I know you have a pretty good collection. When did you start getting into uh, EVP work?
0: Any person can, like, do ghost hunting. I didn't really start to get into, like, the EVP thing and the ghost box thing until t- 2014. I've been doing it for that long. Maybe 2014 was when I started. I bought my first, I bought one of the PSB 7s, the, the really loud, horrible, noisy PSB 7. <laughs> and it was funny because um, a lot of people hate on Steve Huff. And he's controversial, so I won't, I won't go too much into him. But, like, it's funny because I read an Amazon review that he did for the psv 7. I was like, huh, you know, this. he actually did a pretty good review of it. Like, I'm, I'm pretty convinced. I bought one, and the thing that was interesting was the house that I'm going to tell you about that I sort of volunteered at for a while when I was 14, there was this opportunity with this historical society to do a two-night investigation and so like my husband and i were like well you know we could celebrate our anniversary by going out to some fancy dinner or we could spend the money on the tickets for this two-night investigation and check that out and see what that's all about so the group that was doing it american paranormal research association they're they're based out of southern california and one of the guys it's funny because now he's on ghost hunters brandon Brandon Elvis, he was one of the people that sort of led the investigation. And so he and a couple other guys led this investigation of this house, that, this Victorian farmhouse that I had been a docent at. And I was actually, I, I don't want to get ahead of my story, but I was actually kind of terrified to do a ghost hunt there because of my experience. I was like, ooh, I don't know, do I want to do this? But I did it and it was sort of, I don't want to say it was like life changing, but it was definitely something where You know, you go into it not knowing if anything's going to happen, and then something crazy happens, and you're like, wow. And then you get hooked, you know.
1: So when you were a docent there, did you have Uh experiences before you did this hunt? It sounded like you kind of had something jarring.
0: Yeah, so basically I was 14, and, you know, knew nothing about nothing at that point. You know, you're, you're naive when you're 14, at least I was. And my friend... I think she volunteered also, but I was never volunteering at the same time as her. And it was really weird because it was like, we signed up through the homes association for this volunteer work. And it was like, okay, just show up on this day. And they didn't make me wear Victorian clothes or anything. It was just, I show up and there's two other docents that were a little bit older than me, but not much. And they didn't really give us any guidance. They didn't say like, here's the history of the house. Here's what you should tell people. So the two other people, the two other teenagers were sort of walking me through what they normally do and what they normally say to people. But at that point, it was like, you could almost wing it. I mean, you could almost make up some crazy story and just take people room to room and just (laughs) say whatever you wanted, because there was literally like no training. So, um, you know, I would just be like, here's the dining room, and here's where they ate, and here's the living room. And there weren't many people coming in to see the house. And at that point, they didn't charge admission. So it was like on a donation basis. And so we would be bored because there was literally just nothing going on. So it was like, you know, you've got three teenagers in an old house. And so we would just sort of walk around and like open drawers and look in them and, and play around. And, you know, one day the, the guy, it was like it was like myself and a girl and an older guy, and, you know, one day the guy comes up and he's like, do you want to see some pictures of a dead baby? Wow, is that a thing? Like, I didn't know about, you know, Victorian mourning customs at that point. Um, so I was like, wow, okay. But, yeah, we would just sort of go and sort of poke around, which, you know, looking back was pretty awful, but it was also pretty awful to be a docent with, like, no training, no guidance, you know, no adults. My experience was, and I'll tell you a little bit about, about the family that had the house, it was, I think they were originally a Scottish family. So the patriarch of the family was named Neil. And he had is it three sons, four sons, and a daughter. I can't remember. I'm terrible. I know there was Archie. I think there was Neil Jr. And there was John. And there was Mary. So he had four kids. So basically, Neil died and the oldest son inherited the house. And everybody sort of lived in it together. So The the son named Neil got married, moved out, lived somewhere else. There was another son named Archie, and Archie died in this horrible accident. I believe he went over railroad tracks with his horse, and they were towing some farm equipment, and something spooked the horse, and um, the horse threw him, and then the farm equipment, like, ran over him. And so he didn't die right away. He died, like, he was in horrible agony, and he died, like, in the house. And he was young and good-looking. Like, all the girls in the area were, like, in love with him. So he's, like... this really young, good-looking guy. So he died in the house. I'm getting goosebumps telling you about this. Um, so he died in the house. And then the sister, Mary, she died probably in her... I think she was in her early 50s. But she never married. She never had kids. So, you know, when they would take people around the house, they'd say, oh, and this is the spinster's room. The oh, Mary is yeah. the spinster's daughter, which I always thought was really messed up. It is. Yeah, it was really messed up. And then the other son, John, the one who inherited the house, Okay, so he got married, and his wife was named Florence. And from what I can make out, just from my experiences in the house, that Florence and her sister-in-law, Mary, were really close friends. They became very close friends. John was kind of, I want to say he was a little wacky. Supposedly there was, like, a, a, a legend in the neighborhood that he lived to be 100. So I'm trying to think of it. The house was built in 1888. So he lived a long time, and he left the house to... I don't know if it was the Shriners, it was some association, and they were actually ready to pull the house down and then they decided to save it, which is I mean I'm glad they did. It. It's a really nice house. It's not a huge Victorian house, but it it just has a nice kind of a homey feel. Anyway, so John was kind of a character. So he was kind of a perv <laughs> basically. And so I guess as he got older, he would stand on his porch and there'd be girls walking to school and he would actually be out there in a robe and he would open his robe and flash them.
1: Nice. So that gives
0: you a little background on John. <laughs> when i was at the house i was bored one day and i was you know interested in the victorian clothing i went upstairs and i went into mary's room and at that time mary's room had sort of like a velvet rope and you you weren't really supposed to go past the rope but i did because you know there was nobody around so i went past the rope there was a cape on display that was just sort of laying out on the bed and it had It was like a jet-beaded morning cape, and it had monkey fur, and I had never seen anything with monkey fur on it before, so I was like, wow, what is that, you know, interesting texture, because monkey fur that they used to use in Victorian clothing is sort of like, um, oh, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's sort of like long and spindly, (laughs) I guess. It's got got an interesting texture. Is it (laughs)
1: pubic-like?
0: No, (laughs) it's not. It's just weird. It's like very long, and it kind of clumps into these strands. So, you know, they would put it along, like, the edges of a cape or along the collar. But it was definitely interesting. And I I don't remember if there was, like, a muff that was also made of monkey fur. But I just wanted to touch the monkey fur. I was like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to see what that's all about. And so I stepped closer to, to the bed so that I was probably in the center of the bedroom. And it wasn't a very big bedroom. And I stepped into what I now would refer to as a cold spot. And it wasn't just cold. I went, like, ice cold, but I also felt like I was going to black out. And I had never felt like that before. Like, I felt like I was just going to completely lose consciousness. I felt sick. Like, I felt sick to my core. (laughs) And I felt like I was going to black out, and I felt cold. And I actually had to go out back out of the room, and I had to go and sit down downstairs Mm -hmm. until I felt better. And I remember, like, someone else was like, are you okay because your face is really white? I was like, yeah, I don't feel good all of a sudden, and I might have to go home early. And I was, like, freaking terrified of that house after that. I felt like someone knew that I was going in there to touch the thing that I shouldn't have been touching, and I went beyond the rope, and they were like, nope, mm-mm, nope, you don't go back. You know, you don't go this way, and, and don't touch that. It was almost like I walked into a spirit or something. It was it was not a pleasant experience at all. It was not a good feeling.
1: So, did you go back to face your fears years later for that hunt? Um,
0: Yeah, I kind of did. I kind of did go back to face my fears because I don't remember. My memory is really hazy on whether or not I continued to volunteer there, or if I was just kind of like, "Ooh, I've done my, uh, I've done my community service," and I can tell you that the jobs that they placed me at were absolutely terrible. I don't know if you've ever seen the Bart Simpson cartoon where he like does all these chores for an elderly woman. And then she says, here's your nickel. But it was pretty much like that. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Like never again in my life am I going to do something like this. So, yeah, I went back sort of to face my fears. And just because I knew there was something there and I had never really heard anybody else talk about it. Whereas, you know, some of these haunted locations, you've got people saying like, oh, the Winchester house is so haunted, you know, and they sort of, build on that reputation so they can charge you 50 bucks to walk around but um this house did not at that time like that i knew of this house didn't really have a reputation as being haunted so i thought it would be really interesting to sort of go there and see if i sensed anything or if i felt anything because i had even gone back there with an ex-boyfriend of mine and and we just kind of took the tour and he said like he felt like the pictures were watching him but that was all he really felt but i know that for me when we were waiting to take the tour we were sitting downstairs and my arm
1: touched the wall, and I
0: got sort of this sick feeling with my arm touching the wall, and I was like, oh, no. It Um, knew
1: you were back.
0: It knew. It knew I was back. And so the interesting thing was the first night of the investigation was at this house. It's called the McConaughey house. So the first night, didn't really know what to expect, so I brought a recorder and a spirit box. The guys, the APRA, they were leading the investigation. So they kind of did all the... They did all the stuff that, like, you know, I now know enough to do, like, on my own. Like, I don't really need to go with a group. But, you know, they were doing all the things like asking questions, setting up a recorder on the bed. And then everyone would sort of stand around the bed and ask questions and wait for an answer. And they were running the spirit box. So I didn't really get to use my spirit box because they were running theirs. And they had the same one. They had the PLC7. So it was really interesting, though, because we were hearing responses come out in real time. I didn't personally see it. I think it might have been Brandon that saw it, but supposedly they hang out a lot in the attic. So when we were on the second floor, I think it was Brandon that saw Archie. So Archie was the young, good-looking son that that was horribly mangled and died a few days later in agony in the house. And they saw him standing, like, on the steps to the attic, and he looked at them and he said, What the fuck are you looking at?
1: Wow. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. Um, so he seems to be a bit angry. <laughs> My experience that night that released, a couple released really it out, the thing that really kind of cemented for me that, yeah, this, there's something else out there and this house definitely is very active, was that we were in Mary's room. And so here I am. I'm kind of shivering a little because I'm in Mary's room and I'm remembering how sick I felt when I stepped into that cold spot. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Do I want to be in here? Everyone was sort of grouped around and we were doing an EDP session. So there's a recorder on the bed. And people were asking questions. And I think somebody, of course, threw out the inevitable, like, why didn't you ever get married or why didn't you ever have children? And so, you know, it's kind of like a fine line. Like, sometimes it's okay to ask questions like that. But it's like, these are people that don't know you. It would be like asking a stranger. You're asking someone that you don't know. You're asking them all these personal questions. And it's really kind of a breach of etiquette, especially for Victorians. They're, like, really big on etiquette and formalities. And so I don't remember what question triggered it, but I remember I was standing kind of in the in a corner. It's not a very big room, and there are about 10 people. And so I was standing sort of between the uh, – there's like a doorway and then the corner of the room, and I was sort of wedged in the corner. And a question was asked, and behind me – bear in mind, I'm in a corner. There's nobody behind me, and there's no room for anyone to be behind me. Behind me in the corner, I hear this woman – let out this sigh of just exasperation and frustration she was just like oh and it was so loud I'm getting goosebumps telling you but it was like really loud and I just got like a chill like all over my body and everyone stopped what they were doing and they were like did you just hear that you know we heard this sigh we were kind of yell out oh and so when they played back the recording this is the most interesting thing that sigh of frustration was not on the recorder
1: oh isn't that the way
0: (laughs) I know right but it was crazy because I was like I heard it everybody in the room stopped what they were doing everybody in the room heard it and turned around they were like what the hell and I'm like yeah it was right behind me and so it was Mary I'm pretty sure it was Mary and she was like oh I've had it with you people you know Get out of my room so that was really interesting to me and that really kind of solidified for me like okay yes I did experience something here like there is something here I'm not crazy <laughs> um you know she's still here they're still hanging out the whole family was basically hanging out in that house
1: and you went back yeah. in even after even after feeling like you're gonna pass out
0: <laughs> oh yeah it, I went back and it was funny because I don't know if I still had the EVP but I remember listening back to the recordings I made and it was really strange because At first, I wasn't hearing a lot in the two nights that we did. And then I went back, and I kind of listened again, and it was almost like I had to really turn it up and put headphones on, but I think I might have been in her room, and I heard a lady say, you're very much afraid of me. And she sounded very regretful, like she could tell that I was afraid of her because of my experience. And that, I felt... Bad about that. Afterwards, I thought, you know, now that I know, he's just a, a person like you or I. I mean, it, it, there's nothing to really be afraid of.
1: Well, fear takes um, over, right? And we just misinterpret everything when we're in that moment.
0: It's definitely like that fight or flight feeling too—the adrenaline that you get when something like that happens and you're not expecting it. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're actually she was actually like a really nice person, and Florence seemed like a really nice lady. I've been there during the day and just turned a recorder on and they've come through and said things that were kind of funny. Like once I had I had my recorder on or I thought I had it on and I was asking questions and then I happened to look and the recorder was off and I was like, Oh God And so I turned it back on and I went in to tell my husband, like, hey, you know, I thought I was asking all these questions and I thought my recorder was on and it wasn't and the funny thing is when I played that part back where I said, Oh, I thought my recorder was on, you can hear a lady go, It isn't I mean, I, I think she had to say it wasn't, but I think maybe time is just different for them. It's not as linear as it is for us. And they they also came through. I remember that investigation. We were up in the attic, and they were they had the spirit box on, and they're asking all these questions. They were asking Mary how she died, and she said she wasn't sure. She said she couldn't recall, but she thought it had something to do with breathing. And I think I said, was it pneumonia? And she said perhaps. And then we were saying like, you know, is it Mary? Is it just you? Or are you there with Florence? and you hear these ladies voices say together like they were there together so that was what really we was saying yeah there were some really interesting direct responses the guys that were running the investigation they had done other investigations at the house and talked to people that had experience and, and I was told I'm not the only young girl that had had like a weird or sort of bad experience because I guess they think it might have been John maybe he would actually like grab or pinch girls so they're were other women who were made or girls younger you know like teenage girls that were made to feel really uncomfortable or they might have gotten like pinched or touched I mean I guess I'm lucky I didn't get a goose or something but I just got like the bad sick feeling like I I wasn't supposed to be in that room and I wasn't supposed to touch the monkey fur but but he, he said like I guess that you know there were other people that had had sort of negative experiences like it wasn't a positive experience it was like a negative feeling and so he was asking on the spirit box who's the spirit that's making these girls feel uncomfortable? You know, who's doing that? And this voice came through and it said, careful, he'll get you. Like they were joking. So, yeah, I mean, they definitely have a sense of humor. I I do love that house a lot. And the spirits, there are great. It's like the whole family just seems like a dysfunctional family with a sense of humor.
1: Definitely a good intro to being a docent.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I did, I did that when, like I said, when I was 14 and I didn't really think much more about volunteering Let's fast forward to like 2004, I moved to Redwood City. And there's a house in Redwood City. They actually just moved it not long ago. They decided to uh, build, I don't know, they decided to build like condos or apartments or, you know, luxury $4,000 a month, one bedrooms or something. And so they moved the house. It's been moved. This is, I think, its third move. It might be even its fourth move. I'm not sure. But it was a house built in the 18. 18- 60s, I want to say. And the style is steamboat Gothic. So it's this house with like very pointy gables and a pointy roof. And it's a two story house. And it used to be, it's always been like free to go in and tour it. And a, a docent will lead you around and, and show you around the house. And I remember years ago going in there and I remember it being a certain way. And it's funny because when I went back in to tour, it, it, it didn't look the way I remembered it. But I think at the time when I had, gone in there years ago it was like they had just opened it as, as a house museum they had just finished restoring it and so they might have made some changes it was owned by several people so the lathrop's were the people that built it originally and then they only had it for like a couple of years and they sold it to somebody else the last person that owned it was a sheriff okay and the sheriff he seems to be really attached he's still there basically <laughs> so he was sort of the last person that owned it and he was the one that had the ha- sheriff mansfield was his name And he had the house moved from one location to the location where it was until a few years ago. And I think now it's in the parking lot of the the San Mateo County Museum that's like a courthouse. So they basically took like the city hall and courthouse, and the old building, and they used the parking lot and they moved the house into its parking lot. So I'm not even sure if you can tour it right now. It might still be closed. So I was just bored one day and I figured I'd go check it out. And I went by myself and there was a lady showing me around and um she was showing me around the house and I wasn't really getting you know any any vibes or anything and I went upstairs and the minute we went into the master bedroom it was another one of those things where it was like it wasn't a positive feeling it was like a negative uncomfortable feeling my ears started ringing my ears were ringing and I felt kind of sick like I felt like somebody doesn't want me in here and they're pissed off <laughs> that we're in here. And so the lady's like totally oblivious. She's to- telling me about the bed and, you know, here's how they tighten the straps on the bed. And that's why, you know, sleep tight. Don't let the bed bugs bite. And she's showing me how you would like tighten the ropes on the bed and just showing me different features of the room. And I'm in here going like, how can this lady stand to be in here? Cause like there's something in this room that absolutely does not want me in here right now. And, Instead of leaving, when the tour was over, I went back upstairs by myself, and I got my phone out, and I tried to take some pictures of the room, and every picture I took came out blurry, like it wouldn't focus, and then I tried recording, I think I had a recorder in my purse, and I tried recording, and I got a man saying, I'm telling you to get out of here, and he was like, he sounded been mad, like he's sounded pissed off, so I was like, holy crap, this house is haunted. I remember telling a few of my friends about it, and this was like, I was kind of already into ghost hunting, and a couple of them started going over there, and then one person inquired about doing a ghost hunt, and this kicked off, like, this whole slew of investigations. So, there, there were a few people that started doing ghost hunts there and, like, charging money, and, I mean, it was nice because the house was like a, it was like a free tour, but they could use all the money that they could get, so it was nice for them because they were making a little bit of money on the ghost hunt. Um, but that was definitely an experience there, and I decided it would be interesting to volunteer there. That house there's been like people just have gotten like crazy EVPs there and just weird energy and most of the activity for me though, was in that bedroom where the sheriff told me to get out. he's a funny guy, <laughs> definitely possessive of the house, like even though he's like the third owner. He definitely feels like it's his house and his, his place, and he doesn't want people bothering him.
1: I mean, I can understand. There... I can understand. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think that a lot of people that ghost hunt even think of it in those terms ever.
0: Yeah, they kind of have that attitude, like, hey, entertain me. Like, I'm here to be entertained like, and scared, and
1: exactly. I want you
0: ghost to entertain me. And they're disrespectful, which I don't like. I, I think it's always good to be mindful, of, like, you're just speaking to people just like you that you can't see so ask like rude or disrespectful questions or, or just like, demand s- that they do something and-
1: sometimes they ask completely stupid questions like what what color shirt am I wearing what what
0: and, and they go
1: oh, well, and, and just like, have some respect yeah
0: well that's also why I don't like to do like you know when they do like investigations that are just sort of open to the general public because people always uh, you just get these people they either don't know what to ask or they ask questions like what should I have for dinner tomorrow and you're like really you think spirits care about what you're going to eat like come on right. like, nobody gets <laughs> Yeah, inane questions are always kind of a pet peeve. But no, that. Um, so I decided to volunteer at this house because it was down the street for me at the time. It was within walking distance, basically. And I thought, well, it's kind of cool because it's, like it's like a house that's haunted. And so it'll be interesting to kind of volunteer there and see if I sort of have any other experiences. You know, during the day, I mean, it was funny because the lady who was like the main docent, she didn't want anyone else volunteering to know that the house was haunted. Like she didn't want it to get it out because she was afraid that people wouldn't want to volunteer or to be do- be docent. And it makes me max. It doesn't work anymore. But you know the app Ghost Radar.
1: Yeah, it doesn't work
0: anymore. It's pretty. It's it's pretty much trash for like the Ghost Radar part is just a joke. But the dictionary, it doesn't work on my phone anymore. It used to work. I would sometimes have the dictionary running to see if any relevant words came up. And once I was sitting there with two docents, and they were talking about different kinds of birds that they had had. Oh, I used to have a parakeet, and someone else was like, oh, I've always wanted to have a great parrot. And all of a sudden, the Ghost Radar app came up, and it said birds. And I'm like, uh-oh, I better, I better put that down, because like, I don't you know, I don't want them to know that I'm doing this. But it was just funny, because we're talking about birds, and it just went birds, like all of a sudden. So It's got a lot of EPPs there, orbs weird experiences there's a woman who hangs out on the staircase i remember i was in a warehouse that we were investigating a warehouse in san jose and we're just in the warehouse and i was joking around and i said okay spirits um i said something like get back to work like time for you guys to get back to work and when i played it back i could it's really creepy when you hear the lips moving (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, wow. But I
0: can hear the, like, you can hear the whisper and you can hear the lips moving. When I said, like, I <laughs> get back to work, they were like, you suck. <laughs> but it was funny because they said, we're stuck here, it's boring. And it, you can hear the whisper and you can hear the person's lips and their mouth moving. You can hear somebody go, we're stuck here, it's boring. You can hear the sound of the mouth. I'm just sh- 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 talking to you like my my mouth is, <laughs> it's that. uh
1: Breathy, the breathiness, is, it, is that what you mean? Kind yeah, of, the
0: breathiness of it.
1: Have you ever done a session in a hospital?
0: You know, I have, I kind of, I've just like turned on a, you know, the recorder on my phone or something, but I haven't actually done like a spirit box session in a hospital. I'm almost like afraid.
1: I've done one in a, you know, like not an abandoned hospital, like a working hospital. And oh. I popped my headphones in and decided to just turn on an app and just let it run in my head, in my headphones. When I left that night, I had to walk through a dark parking garage. I heard the screaming like a woman was being murdered and I was scared. I was like, I have to get to my van. Like there's a woman getting murdered in here. I I was horrified. And as I'm walking to my van, there was a couple that had walked right by me. Like they didn't hear that scream. I don't think I'll ever do it again.
0: Yeah. I don't, that's, that's one thing. Like I'm just afraid because I think when people die in a hospital, they're probably like really confused. My great uncle was in like a, like a hospice type place. He was put in, he started to get dementia and they put him in a, like a nursing home. And then something happened. I don't know if he fell, but he got worse all of a sudden and he had to go to this hospice place. And so I went there with my husband one night. You know, I I didn't want the guy to die. He was like a really cool guy when I was a kid. He was like the, you know, he was like the great uncle that would say, Hey, come over here. Like he's going to tell you a secret. And he'd already say, Hold out your hand and you put like a stack of like fifty cent pieces in your hand or something. <laughs> and he just always thought just always like a really sweet, nice man with like a good sense of humor. Like it was just really kinda of terrible to see him decline and you know, he got to the point where he kinda of didn't know who anybody was and so then he's in this this hospice place and I went to go visit him and his daughter and granddaughter were visiting him, but they they were like, Oh, well we're gonna go to the, the cafeteria so we'll give you guys some time with him. So I went in there, and I'm in there with my husband. And my husband felt kind of awkward, you know, so he's kind of hanging back. And I'm in there, and he's, like, he didn't have a shirt on, and he kept pulling, like, the blanket down. And it was winter, and I was like, oh, he's got to be. I wonder if he's cold. And so I was trying to pull the blanket sort of back up for him so he wouldn't be cold. And I swear to you, he was the only one in the room. He didn't have a roommate. I heard a woman's voice say, just leave him alone like oh just you just leave him alone like don't you know don't pull on his blanket don't try to cover him up just leave him alone and I was like wow there's nobody else in the room but I heard that like clear as day I don't know who it was and I kind of wonder if it was I had a great aunt that died before I was even born and she was one of the first people to get open heart surgery she didn't make it she didn't survive the surgery so I wonder sometimes I kind of wonder if it was her you know because it wasn't a voice that I recognized
1: but it seemed like as though it was to somebody looking out for him. It didn't seem like it was...
0: Yeah. There was yeah. something, you know, because they always say, like, your relatives are kind of around you before you die.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And he died, like, two or three days after that.
1: Yeah, the visitations begin. Yeah. But that's just amazing that you heard that.
0: Yeah, I heard it. Like, it was like a person in the room say, why don't you just leave him alone? And I was like, okay, because there's somebody here. What's going on? You know, like, it was just a regular voice. It wasn't a whisper or anything like that.
1: What's the scariest that you've ever come across?
0: Um, hmm, that is... <laughs> okay, I'm going to preface this with I'm not religious. Okay. So I'm not like one of those heaven or hell people... Um, so I don't believe like, Ooh, the devil, like, cause my mom had made a comment when they started doing all this. She's like, Oh my God, you know, like if ghosts are real, that means hell is real. And I don't really believe that that, you know, one sort of proves the existence of the other coming at it from that angle of saying, like, I'm not, I've always been a little more of an atheist than anything else. And now I would say I'm more agnostic because I genuinely do not know. Basically I stayed at this hotel in the gold country and I've stayed there a couple times since this happened. So it wasn't enough to put me up going back basically it's an old gold rush hotel so it was built in the 1850s and the guy that built it was i can't remember he was a german immigrant that also spoke french because he lived in like an area where you know they kind of spoke both but he came out and he sort of catered towards the french community the hotel is a hotel leger but there are sort of arguments about like did he call it léger, like l-e-g-e-r or was it leger so no one can sort of agree on the original pronunciation but the guy's name was george And so he was sort of the proprietor and the founder of the hotel. Supposedly, he haunts the hotel. There's supposed to be some other creepy entities that are at the hotel. And, of course, there's always, like, the story of someone came with a Ouija board and they summoned a demon, whatever for that, like whatever for summoning a demon with the Ouija board. I spent the night at the hotel with my husband, and we stayed in room 7, which was supposed to be George's room when he was alive. It's a really small room. Um, Some of the other rooms have a bathroom in the room. But this room, unfortunately, the bathroom was sort of right across the hall. So you had to have a key to get into the bathroom. We went to bed that night. I was, you know, they, they actually will leave. I don't know if they still do this because the hotels change owners like three or four times. They used to leave the unoccupied rooms open so you could go in and ghost hunt. And so, and they give you that silly, um, ghost detector thing that's just like a thing with a light. and beeps. And, um, but you know, we had our own equipment anyway, but we'd go in the rooms and ask questions. And I got a lot of them telling me, like, fuck you, get out, get out, fuck off. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> and they were all, like, really kind of hostile. Like, fed up. But um, <laughs> So this is like, the second time we stayed there, I think, that this happened. So we're in room seven. We go to bed. And I didn't, have a, I didn't have a hard time falling asleep. Like, sometimes at haunted hotels, like, it's hard to fall asleep. But I was fine. You know, I I went right to sleep. And the only thing that woke me up was my husband rummaging around the room. Because it was a small room. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And he's like... Well, I really need to go to the bathroom across the hall, but he's like, I can't find the damn key. So he's looking around the dresser and looking under the dresser and pulling out the drawers to the dresser. I think it only had, like, two drawers in it. But he's like, you know, I put it on top of the dresser before I went to sleep, and now it's not there. So I'm looking around. I'm looking under furniture, and I'm looking in my bag that I packed and in my purse, and I'm dumping everything out to see if it fell in there. Nothing. No key, nowhere. So we, we've, we like, torn everything apart. No key, and I'm like, well, this is just great, because you woke me up, so now I have to pee, You now you have to pee. And we knew there was, like, a bathroom downstairs next to the saloon, or okay. sort of, like, the lobby, and then there's, like, a saloon and restaurant, and there's, like, public restrooms. And so it's pitch black. We had to go downstairs in the pitch darkness. I think we might have been the only guests at the hotel that night, because it was, like, an off night or, like, off season. So we go down there in, like, the pitch darkness to use the bathrooms that we knew were unlocked. And... Totally creepy, totally creepy vibe. I'm walking through the dark going, okay, thanks guys. This is really funny, like really hilarious to make us go through the dark to use the bathroom. You know, the next morning we get up, the key's not there. We're like, well, that's kind of weird. So we told the hotel, we're like, we're really sorry. The key just kind of disappeared and they didn't seem that shocked. They were like, oh, well, you know, what happens. And they said, you know, if it turns up again, they had one of those keychains on it that says, like, if found, return to us. And you just drop it in the mailbox. They were just kind of like, you know, no big deal if you find it, great. If not, no big deal. That was like on a, I think we checked out on a Sunday night. And a couple days later, I think it was a Tuesday, I decided to go do some thrift shopping. And um, so I went clearance outlet that I go to or used to go to (laughs) and, you know, digging through clothes. And so I had to drive my car to get there. And so I had my purse with me and my keys. I, you know, obviously I had to take my keys out of my purse to go to the thrift place. And I was digging around for a couple hours, and I said, okay, it's time to go home and get some lunch. And so I went to get my keys out of my purse to get in my car. The key to the hotel was on top of my car keys. And there's absolutely no way that that was in my purse before because, like I said, I had turned my purse upside down looking for the keys. I had had my keys out, and I drove to the shop, and then I put my keys back in my purse to shop. And then between sometime between my keys being put back in my purse, and me going to reach for my keys, this hotel key just mysteriously reappears. And so that was kind of like, okay, this is weird. Like, am I going crazy? Maybe it was in here before and I didn't see it. And then I'm kind of like, but how could that be? Because it just didn't make any sense. That's weird enough. So I get in the car, and I have, like, a, you know, the Bluetooth set up with my phone connected to Bluetooth. And I'm driving along, and I'm like, you know, this is really what I'm going to tell my husband about it. So I call him on over the Bluetooth. And I'm waiting for, you know, you traditionally would hear the phone ringing as the phone starts dialing. Instead of hearing the phone ring, I start hearing water. Like, it sounds like I'm underwater. Like, I hear this sort of sloshing back and forth of water and these sort of bubbling liquid sounds. And then I hear whispers, like this, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And it, 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 oh, God, I'm getting horrible chills. Okay, so I hear this, these whispers, and they start getting louder and louder. And, and it just sounded like i hate to say it sounded evil but it didn't sound good you know what i mean like it sounded creepy and i'm hearing the water sloshing and i'm hearing the whispers and i'm like yeah this is a wrong number and i just hung up i just get disconnect i hung up the phone call i decided like enough was enough that was the creepiest thing and then i was like that was just the weirdest freaking thing i'm like let me redial and see if it happens again so i redial And my husband picks up and he's like, hello? And I'm like, yeah, that was, I had the weirdest experience. And he he was like, well, he's like, did you just call? And I said, yeah, I tried to. And he's like, well, all I heard was coughing on the other end. Like somebody going, (laughs) he didn't hear any of the creepy shit I heard. And not only that, but after I got off the phone, one of my ears was like burning. It was burning, like the side of my face and my ear were burning like a sunburn. I mean it was literally like I, I don't believe in demonic things but it was li- like to me that was the most creepy and pseudo demonic thing that's ever happened and I'll tell you exactly why the water that I heard I realized later that it was um, the same sound that I heard when I was about 12 and I was at the beach with my mom we were at Santa Cruz you know, where they have the boardwalk and my mom used to take me to the beach once in a while I mean you know she's a single mom and so she We didn't really do, like, a lot of extravagant things, but, you know, every now and then she'd drive down to Santa Cruz and take me to the boardwalk, or we'd sit on the beach, and we'd have a slice of pizza, and sit on our our towels and get a tan. And I remember going into the water and body surfing, because somebody showed me how to body surf, and I was doing that for a while. I got knocked over by a wave, and it was a big wave. And I blacked out for a bit, because I sort of, like, remember just opening my eyes, and I was tumbling around and around in a ball, The water was just throwing me around, and I was just tumbling around and around. And the sound of the water, like, I've never forgotten that sound of the water sort of slishing and gurgling and swirling around me. It was the same bloody sound that I heard over the Bluetooth speaker.
1: That sounds pretty damn evil to me.
0: It was pretty awful. And so just realizing that, like, this is something that somehow knew. Like, that was the closest I ever came to dying in my life. It somehow took that sound and did the creepy whispers over it. And it put the key in my purse. And I was like, no, nah, I don't like this. <laughs> that's probably the creepiest, scariest thing that's ever happened to me.
1: I think that's the thing with demonic is that they mess with your mind. Yeah. psychological.
0: Yeah. It's not necessarily what we would traditionally think of as a demon. I think it's more like spirits that are just mean. Like, they're just doing it to be mean. Because I, I think, and I could be wrong, that I feel like they can sort of see. and Like, we're an open book for a spirit. It's like they can just see everything. I mean, they can probably tell you what color- underwear. I, they've actually told people I know, like, hey, you're wearing pink underwear, pink panties. So, I mean, they know. Like, it's almost like they can x-ray see through you or something, but they go also sort of see into your soul. which sounds crazy, but I really do believe that they know everything about us, they know what we're thinking. They know what we're feeling. Like I said, energetically, I think we're kind of like an open book.
1: They uh, use that energy and they feed off of it, so they they can manipulate it. Oh
0: yeah. yeah they always feed off the fear.
1: Think of it in terms of like, um, you know, that we've got we've got bad people on the earth, and just imagine this twisted pedophile that dies, and he's in your home, and yeah. he's he's haunting it, you know, and you're living <laughs> yeah, totally. with that. So yeah. yeah, you're gonna feel like somebody's staring at you, and somebody's doing not so nice things. You're getting goosed. you're getting touched, and that that's scary.
0: It is scary, but then at the same time, you have to think that these people were human and it's like, you have to find the humanity in each spirit. Like even if they're a jerk, like, you just have to try to find the humanity. <laughs> That's the way to not be afraid of them is just to realize like these are people just like us. Like they're assholes, sure, but they're, they're just people. And, and I think they, they might feed on negative emotions or fear or strong emotions, but I also feel like there are spirits out there that are willing to sort of come between us and the bad ones and sort of protect us. So I don't think we're ever completely on our own. I don't think we're ever completely on our own with these jerk spirits. I think there are always other spirits that are sort of around that are sort of trying to steer us in the right direction. And
1: yeah, they're bouncers. You know,
0: I, mean, I don't know if they're necessarily guides, but sort of like that that sort of concept of someone who's sort of guiding you along and trying to keep you out of trouble.
1: Yeah, they give you nudges, and and I I think they act as bouncers at times, and you know. They, oh yeah. I've heard them fight. I've heard someone not so savory come into the conversation when I'm, when I'm working with spirits and, and I'll hear, you know, the spirits I trust and know, they'll, they'll say it. They'll say, you need to get out of here.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah they'll tell them get out, leave her alone, don't touch her. What's really creepy is when I hear things like, uh, I heard I heard one once say, open your mouth, and I heard the other one saying, get off her. And I was like, oh, hell no. Oh. Like, I'm really glad I can't see what's going on, or I couldn't see them, because, like, it just sounded like it wasn't good. Whatever was happening was like, nope. Honestly, it doesn't matter, though. I mean, they can see through your clothes. I mean, they, could, they, don't, they don't really – you have no privacy, basically. I don't think it matters, like, if you're on the toilet, in the shower, wherever you are, like, they can come and look at you. It doesn't matter. So, I mean – I think you just have to kind of put it out of your mind. They can see you and just be glad that you can't hear what they're saying. Because I've had them say plenty of stuff about me. I It was funny, though, because one of them called me once in a, in a session. One of them said, fat this or fat that, and I got pissed off. And then I did another session, and it was kind of sweet because I still have the clip somewhere, but they said, you're fat but beautiful. And then somebody else goes, they're stupid. And then somebody else goes, yeah, Angel, they're stupid. So they were, like, reassuring me. <laughs> like, even though one of them, you know, the ones that called me fat, they're like, oh, those, those guys are stupid. You know, yeah. You're, yeah, you're fat, but we still think you're beautiful. Yep. You know, I thought that was really sweet.
1: Yeah, so it goes really both sweet. ways.
0: <laughs> yeah, they see the whole package. I mean, you know what was funny? Once I got a comment, I was, um, I we were investigating the, one of the casinos in um, Reno. This lady that, she used to run um, the ghost hunts for Bay Area Ghost Hunters. She did a ton of them, and then um, she stepped down from doing it because somebody else had sort of taken a hiatus and decided to come back. So it was like, well, there can't be two. There's going to only be one. (laughs) She stepped down from doing it, but for a while there, she was doing, like, just ghost huts constantly. And she invited us on her birthday, I guess, the Silver Legacy Casino in Reno. She said she had investigated it before, and it it was active, and so she invited us to kind of come up there and stay in one of the rooms and we stayed and like we did a ghost hunt and like i got this funny evp when we were going in the stairwells that kind of go between the floors i was saying like oh my backpack's really heavy and i'm going to take my backpack off i was saying it to myself out loud and you hear somebody go that will not be enough i'm going to take my backpack off and he goes that will not be enough i'm like what do you want me to take off more (laughs) i guess that's what they meant like it's not going to be enough (laughs) And another time I was on the Hornet, you know, the USS Hornet is like really haunted. Yes. The one that's docked in Alameda. And I was doing an investigation on the Hornet and I, um, I was wearing leggings and I didn't have any underwear on underneath because sometimes they do that when I'm wearing leggings. <laughs> and so I was going up these stairs and they said something about me and you hear this man go, and it's funny because they use the resonance of this, my footsteps on the metal stairs, but you hear a man go pantyless apparently. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, it doesn't so. seem fair. It's so one-sided. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know right? it's not like you can see that, but um, there's another house where I was a docent called the Ring house and it's in Mountain View. and it's another one that's like free to enter, but it's kind of a bummer because it's a neat Victorian and it's sort of that Italianate style, but only the lower floor of no, it's a two-story house. It's not very big. But only the lower floor is open for tours, and so I got really bored really quickly being a dozen there because you're just sitting in the dining room waiting for people to come in, and then sometimes they would all come in at once. People would bring their kids, and their kids would be, like, you know, trying to pull the Victrola apart or something. So there were only a few rooms I could take people into, and basically, like, I think a lot of people just thought, like, they could walk in and look around, and they didn't expect to be taken on a tour. The lady that was sort of in charge of the docent program, she had really kind of kind of stringent things. Like she really wanted us to talk about, you know, we had a specific script we were supposed to follow. So you couldn't just sort of like, you know, do improv and just talk about, you know, the house. Like you had to have this specific set of things that you were supposed to tell people about. You could just sort of see people's eyes sort of glaze (laughs) up, Like they didn't really want to hear it. And every now and then I'd get somebody, you know, somebody would ask me, like, is this house haunted? are there ghosts here? And I'd be like, oh, you know, like, I mean, the the lady that was in charge of the program, she'd be like, once I thought I smelled like a phantom smell, but it was actually just somebody's chewing gum. And I'm like, okay. But <laughs> I, I had like really, really minor experiences. Like I did my first tour on my own and somebody patted me on the head, <laughs> like oh. somebody invisible, like patted me on top of the head. And, um, I got a few EVPs. Like I, I'd, I'd go in there a lot and try to get them to talk to me, but I think they just, They might have been afraid that I was going to start bringing people over to investigate or something because the the spirits were pretty quiet. There was one time when it was Halloween and I brought some chocolate bars and I left one on the mantle and I put my recorder next to it and I heard somebody touch, they touched the recorder, they kind of tapped it with their finger and then they sort of rustled the the, the paper on the chocolate. I finally had like a confirmation that there was somebody in one of the rooms like, tapping on the recorder and it wasn't it wasn't a living person because it was completely pardon the expression on halloween it was completely dead there was like nobody there because google was like right down the street and they were having some halloween thing for their employees and you couldn't even get through like i was like two hours late for my docent time slot because the traffic was so bad so there were really no people coming in to visit or to look around because they couldn't get there right so it was basically me, me by myself like okay, my shift is from this time to this time. I guess I'm just kind of stuck here. I couldn't leave even if I wanted to because of all the traffic. So I was just kind of in there like, okay, well, I'm just going to put a recorder down and record. And so, yeah, I've gotten a few responses there, like on the spirit box when nobody's there. But but overall, like I would say of the three houses that I volunteered at, that the rainstorm is actually the least haunted. And, I mean, that might be different if I was there at night by myself because in the winter, you know, when the when it got dark at 5, and I'd go with the lady who was sort of like in charge of everything, and she'd be going through the house turning the lights off and locking the doors, and it felt different. Like after everybody left and the lights started getting turned off, the house felt different, like the energy kind of changed. So you could tell they were kind of hanging around, they weren't quite ready to come out and and have their spirit party just yet, but they were waiting for us to go home.
1: Yeah, the freaks come out at night. uh,
0: one, One time she told me that, Because they had cleaners that would come in. And she said it was really strange because she said usually the cleaners were really good about, like, locking everything up. And she said that um, she got an alert because all the lights were on and the door was left unlocked and the cleaners just left. Like, they stopped what they were doing and they just left. So there must have been something that freaked them out. That house actually had a reputation for being, like, creepy haunted when it was abandoned bikers used to ride their motorcycles up and down the stairs and the poor house was vandalized so there there was supposedly like Sylvia Brown came through and she said there was like an angry man in a wheelchair and I have no idea who that would have been because it wasn't Mr. Ringstorf he wasn't ever in a wheelchair and I never I, I picked him up sometimes but it was more like there were a few female spirits that would communicate with me and they were pretty soft spoken so I never really got anything bad there I felt like they were pretty friendly And I would also get kind of like feelings that they wanted me to do things for them. I got this overwhelming feeling that they wanted fresh flowers in the house. And I found out later that one of the daughters that lived there, and she was the one who sort of stayed behind to sort of help her parents. And so she was a little bitter about that, but she got married later in life. She married someone that worked on the farm. But I think she was always kind of mad that she never got to kind of go out and do her own thing, that she had to help her parents. Cause there's a picture of her upstairs and she looks mad, but she, she was actually, she was really into botany and gardening. So I didn't know that when I was like, Oh, I think they want fresh. I think someone in the house wants like fresh flowers. Did and you... it turns out that this lady Elise was really into botany and gardening. So she might've been the one that was sort of putting it in my head that she wanted the fresh flowers. Did, I don't know. did
1: you bring her the fresh flowers? Did she ever get them?
0: You know, I, told, I kind of do know if I ever got a chance to bring flowers in or not. Because, I mean, there was, like, one docent who was elderly man. He got really dressed up to do his presentation. But he was one of those people, you couldn't interrupt him and you couldn't, I mean, you couldn't change anything in the house or, like, everybody would freak out. Like, they had a, um, a phonograph. And it was kind of funny because I felt like this. Sp- I was, was trying to do things that I thought the spirits would like. So I thought maybe, like, they were probably tired of hearing the same phonograph record over and over. I'm thinking, like, okay, I bet the spirits are, like, totally sick and tired of hearing the same freaking record over and over, because, you know, people would come in and you'd go, oh, and here's an old phonograph, and and you had to say things like, you couldn't just say, like, oh, here's a phonograph from, you know, this is from the 20s, the house was built in the Victorian era, so this isn't contemporary to the time the house was built, but, you know, they, you had to say things like, we don't know if they had a phonograph, but they might have had one in a house such as this, and then wind it up, turn it on, play a record for three seconds, everybody goes, ooh, and then you like, there's like these little cabinet doors, and then you say, and this was the way you controlled the volume, and you open the cabinet doors, and it gets louder, and everybody goes, oh, you know. (laughs) So I just felt like, I bet these spirits are like, can we never hear this record like ever again? So I looked uh, in the cabinet below the phonograph, and there were all these other records, so I was like, cool, I'm gonna get on another record and put another record on the turntable. So then I found out later I went to this like event for all the docents and this one lady was just like I don't know what happened to the record. I had it all set up and now there's a completely different record and it was like it was just, it had just like destroyed her life and like set her into a tailspin because I changed the record. So what
1: well, did you just, put did just, you put Hendrix on or what? What
0: I yeah, it wasn't anything like that, but it was like <laughs> it was like oh my god, it was so shocking that someone actually like change the record and i think i just i admit it i said well you know i i kind of just wanted to change it because i felt like it was just the same record over and over and everyone was like well i didn't even know there were any other records in the phonograph (laughs) they would have changed it
1: a long time ago if they (laughs) could (laughs) have
0: i've had some weird shit happen over the years and it just it sticks with you you know
1: it does thank you marcy uh for coming on to the show and giving us all your wonderful stories And before you go, tell us where to find your goods.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, Thank you again for having me. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking to you. And um, for anybody that wants to check out vintage clothing and jewelry, men's and women's, it's going to be lolaandblack.etsy.com or just look for the shop Lola and Black, spelled just like it sounds. I named it after my two cats that are no longer with us. Lola, L-O-L-A-A-N-D-B-L-A-C-K, Lola and Black.
1: Beautiful. That is the name of
0: my shop.
1: I hope to have you back on and thanks a lot.
0: Yeah, thank you. To the Spirit Podcast oh. Supernatural science Annalia.
1: I'm ghost 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 ghost.
0: Thank you. Mystic Spirit Divine Source. Heaven. It's
1: magic.